Tommy Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the T in your T-Lo, Tom Fitzgerald. And I'm here with the low in your T-Lo, Lorenzo Marquez, my lovely husband. Hello. And it is Christmas week. And it is, we're hoping, we hope you are all enjoying your holidays, whatever holidays that may be, or whether you're not, and you know. Right. So I, I have a big a soft spot in my heart for people who have no time for the holidays at all, who don't want to be part of it. You know, even though I'm a huge Christmas queen, um, I also know what it's like to be to not want to be part of something or to reject something and then feel like it's the only thing everybody else is talking about. So I see you out there, people who are not celebrating or observing, and I hope you're having a good week, regardless of what yeah. that week is, right? Watch a movie, have some tea, do right, whatever. Right. Go Buy to, yourself some chocolate, do whatever, or go to do a mu- nothing. Or go to a museum like or, we did. Yes. <laughs> uh, this week, we. this was our big... Um, we're not exchanging gifts this year for Christmas because we both decided uh, that we were going to spend the next year doing traveling, spending some time. Because we've all been on lockdown for so right, long right. that we all feel like, all right, let's get the hell out in the world. And we asked ourselves, like, do we really need anything? Yeah, I don't need another coffee cup. And um, um, I had already bought my holiday Bombas socks for the right, year. Exactly. I didn't even, you know, because I wasn't going to wait for you to buy them for me. I, I just went ahead and bought them. Um so anyway, yeah, this week we went to New York uh, and stayed overnight and did a two-day museum tour. We went to the Whitney uh, on one day, um, which was uh, to go see the Edward Hopper exhibit. Right. Edward Hopper has always been, American artist Edward Hopper, has always been a favorite of mine. And it has some sentimental value mm. to the two of us. Can I tell that? Yeah, please tell oh, the right. story. Um I think I must have mentioned... We were on a date, then you mentioned... I mentioned Edward Hopper on our yeah. first date. And then Lorenzo came to see me at the time. It was our first coffee together. And then the real date... It wasn't a real date. I was working. Oh, yeah. Well, you came to... Um, I was a host at a dessert place. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh my How homosexual can I get? <laughs> anyway, uh, I said, come in. Come in and you know it'll be quiet. Whatever night. It wasn't quiet, it but wasn't I, I was quiet. just enraptured by... His parents were there. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Lorenzo showed up, and because he was trying so hard to impress me at oh. the time, he had a gift box of Edward Hopper uh, um, postcards and cards, which I have never used. They're still sitting on our bookcase. It has tremendous sem- sentimental and value to me. I remember what you said. You said, oh, you listen. You listen. And yeah. I never listened to you again. And you never listen to me again. It's true. <laughs> that was his signal that that would be the last time he'd ever listened to me. Oh, my God. Anyway, that was lovely really lovely because it's so funny i i i have always been a fan of edward hopper and the minute we walked into the museum i blurted out you know what i don't really know anything about him right um which is strange when i think of it so it was actually a really educational uh sort of afternoon because um we got to see all this great hopper artwork that i've never seen before but we also got to i i learned about him i really didn't know him as an artist right right but uh, but I think that's very interesting. Uh, I I think I like both uh, approach to art. Mm-hmm. Like you you love an artist uh, and you learn everything about them, or you don't care. You just focus on beautiful paintings right. that, that you admire. I do like both ways. No, of, I I agree, you know what I mean. I'm, I don't think you need to be obsessed and read no. every book about. I totally agree, the but artist. I I really was surprised to admit that where I was like, oh wow, all these years. I've really been having a solely emotional reaction to Edward Harper's art right. because I don't have any like, you know, intellectual 
basis to, you know, I, I didn't know anything about them. So it was, that was nice. And then we went to a lovely restaurant uh, near Union Square that we've gone to a couple of times called Friend of a Farmer in New York. Adorable restaurant. Adorable country-themed restaurant that's been there for a long time. Great food. Yes. And then uh, the next day, we went to the Met to see the Baroque Christmas tree, which I'd never seen at the Met, where they had this giant Christmas tree full of like Baroque angels and stuff, and a whole nativity set on the bottom. And also the Tudors. They had a exhibit exhibit on the Tudors, which... um, Again, was really great because it had all of these like iconic paintings of Henry VIII or that Queen you Elizabeth see in every history that you book. see in every history book, and I'm like, oh my god, I've never seen this right. in person. In person, yeah. Um, and it, it was, was just, nice. It was really a great like 30 hour trip uh, where we got to just enjoy our holiday the way we wanted to enjoy our holiday, right. which and is we, why I say I hope you all are enjoying it the way you want to. And every time we go to the uh, Met, we usually eat in the basement, which is horrible. I hate that place. But this time we decided to go to the restaurant all the way on top. The dining room, yeah. Yeah, and it was awesome. It was very nice. Food was great. Service was amazing and a nice view. So it was... And nice, the Whitney had yeah, a nice yeah. uh, dining room as well. Remember? Yes, we went out yes. on the roof oh, to take yes, pictures yes, and yes, everything. Yes, that's right. That's so right. we recommend both. So the back to the Hopper exhibit. I highly recommend that because I didn't know a lot of his stuff in terms of like... He did a lot of uh, magazine covers. Illustrations. Illustrations yeah. and, and ads and all that kind of stuff. Uh, sort of like a Lion Decker kind of, you know, approach to... All arts. Um, and I loved it. Yeah. I also loved it. Uh, you, there's also like personal letters he wrote to his mother when he was in Paris. I mean, everything was just very, very sweet. Yeah. It was very, very crowded, but we still managed to see a lot. We stayed masked up. Yes. And we enjoyed ourselves. Um, you know what else we enjoy is our Bombas holiday socks. Always. Bombas, gifting is hard, and Bombas makes it easy with socks, underwear, and t-shirts that feel good and do good. They feel good because they're thoughtfully designed with the softest materials, and they do good because for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone in need. Bombas socks, underwear, t-shirts, and slippers are cozy upgrades to every day basics and the perfect gift for everyone on your list including yourself because as i just said i did not oh wait God. for lorenzo no, you this never year. do you just go ahead and buy well, we were you. we yeah. were like all right we're probably not going to buy gifts this year and i was like well the hell with that i'm going out and getting my bomba socks but you still stuff. want your socks so yes. i did i got the holiday socks um bombas uses materials like premium pima cotton and ultra soft never itchy merino wool in their socks and t-shirts and fuzzy sherpa linings in their slippers bombas's holiday collection puts a modern twist on traditional festive colors and designs think rich purples and greens geometric snowflake designs sweater inspired textures and retro ski patterns with family sets, you can match with your family and friends in exceptional comfort and style. Hello, frameable holiday group photo. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items in homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one item for every item you buy. So far, Bombas has donated over 75 million items of clothing. That's a whole lot of comfort and a whole lot of good. So, give the good this holiday season with Bombas. Go to bombas.com TLO and use code TLO for 20% off your first to purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash T-L-O code T-L-O for 20% off. Bombas.com slash T-L-O code T-L-O. Thank you, Bombas. 
okay, what we're doing this for this podcast is very easy, laid back. We did the same thing last year at the we end did. of the year. Yeah. We're going to do our picks, our top three picks for our favorite TV shows and favorite movies of the year. Each of us does not know who, what the other one picked. There's likely to be some overlap. Probably the same. Yeah. I don't think so. I know that I know for a fact a couple of things on my list are not on yours because you didn't watch them. Um, and we're going to include a, an honorable mention for each category, an honorable mention TV show and an honorable oh, just mention. just one. I have film. like seven. Okay. No, let's do one. Pick <laughs> <Fine>. one. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. Yeah. That's, <laughs> How about you? That, we're going to wind up with 14 picks total. So let, <laughs> that's enough for the next 45 minutes. Um, I, so I just want to start, I'm going to start or do you want, do you want to start? No, you start. Um, okay. Uh, so a couple of my choices are going to be fairly obvious if you've listened to this podcast. I'll state right off the bat. I suspect it might be in yours. Is the We're going to start with movies. Yes, movies. Okay. And I do want to say these are not necessarily our picks yes. for the best movies. It's somewhat similar to things like our costume de- design posts at the end of the year where it's there's a difference between f- best and favorite in our minds. Right. And, I totally agree. Um, so in this sense, we're telling you our favorites. Yeah, I want to emphasize that it's not like the Hollywood Reporter, you know, the well, best. I mean, I mean, they might be included. But, yes. But my point is that we're not looking for the best, best, best. There's at least there. two yeah. on my list of of movies at least that i don't think made any end of the year lists and nor do i feel like they should have Mm -hmm. but they just were very enjoyable to me right anyway starting off my uh and these aren't in any order but my first one is the banshees of inishirin Mm -hmm. which uh we talked about on this podcast a couple of weeks ago um starring colin farrell and brendan gleason and carrie condon directed by martin mcdonough set on the aran islands off of the coast of ireland in 1923 and, um, you know, I we talked about it at the time, and for a lot of reasons, my phone is dinging and you can't hear it. No one can hear it. Okay. Don't worry, Lorenzo. Um, Go ahead. Uh, we talked about it at the time, and there's a lot of reasons to talk about it in terms of its high quality and, and the tremendous acting and the artfulness of the, say, the cinematography and the direction and that sort of thing. And all of that is still true. But for me, it really, I loved that it... Um, it almost fools you because it starts off like a film that's all about the charm of, of, you know, rural village life in, in off the coast of Ireland. And, and it's got the donkey and it's got the pub and it's got the fiddling and you, and everyone's, you know, really sharp tongued with each other and everything. So you think it's another charming Irish sort of folk tale and then it turns dark. Um, and yet it loses none of its Irishness because I feel like the darkness in that film is a purely Irish form of darkness. Of the, right. And I talked about it at the time. Um, it's not a dark film in the sense that you leave... I don't think it's a depressing film necessarily, but uh, I mean, the, the characters are all... have the darkness of their souls revealed. Um, and the performances are amazing and it stuck with me for days afterwards. And I think part of that, as I said at the time when I reviewed it was, I am a middle-aged Irish American man and I do have some level of understanding of what those male characters were talking about in the film. Right. Both Colin Farrell and, Mm -hmm. and, um, Brendan Gleeson's characters, because they were on opposite sides of a, of a particular question. 
And um, yeah, I just loved it. I think it um, was one of the better uh, illustrations of Irish masculinity that I've seen on film in a long time. Oh, interesting. You know, it's not The Quiet Man. It's not John right. Wayne. Not that, not that version of Irish masculinity, but a what seemed to me a truer more nuanced and darker exploration of it. Fantastic. All right, you go. Well, I picked the same. All right, I figured you did. I do want to add a few things. Uh, my choices here, and uh, usually it's, it's when they're creative in a way that I haven't seen before or, you know, something different. You just see, because I watch so many movies, so many TV shows that, you know, that type of movie always catches my attention because it is a little different, the approach to something. Mm-hmm. And I, and what stuck with me was the whole thing about things ending, relationships ending, um, and how you deal with it. Right. Uh, and I think I felt that way. I don't want to get into details, but in terms of my, some friends with the pandemic and everything. I agree. Uh, my relationship with them uh, changed and some ended. Uh abruptly and um and it hurt me and and i took me a while to get to deal with it and to move on and and you know understand that you know it's over you move on so i think that's that's a fantastic piece of the movie i think the other part that it's really really beautiful is is um the character played by carrie cotton uh how she's so tired of all of that as a woman dealing with that reality in a very small island where everything is the same and women are treated like shit. Um, and she just wants a new life. She just wants to move on. Uh, she feels she feels uh, stuck there because of her brother. She has to take care of him. But she wants a new life somewhere different. And that was just so beautiful. And she does a phenomenal job. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was a beautiful movie. It's, it's sort of like... Uh, you know, the despair of having to end something or that something ended and how to deal with it. And at the same time, being hopeful and, you know, moving on to something else. So, yeah. Agreed. We're in agreement for our first pick. I feel like my second pick might be on your list as well. (laughs) I am picking Women Talking. Oh, God. Is that on your list? All right. I promise the last two are probably not on your list. Uh, I'll go first. We also talked about women talking on this on this podcast, so again, I don't need to revisit too much of it. But it is a film that stuck with me for days afterwards. Could not stop thinking about it. Right, uh, like the Banshees of Sharon, it has uh, not one bad performance. Every single performance in it is just excellent. Every single performance, like the Banshees, is worthy of an Oscar. Um, but uh, there's so much more to that film that I that. Re- than just a tremendous performances. It's the questions that it unpacks. It's the dynamics that it reveals in this group of women. Uh, real quick, it's a group of women in a Mennonite community who come together to discuss whether they should stay in the community or leave the community or fight inside the community because they have discovered that the men in the community are sexually abusing them while they sleep. So... Um, it's it's really it's exactly what the title of the film says. It's literally two hours, or just under two hours of women talking, and talking about their fears, talking about their anger, talking about their frustrations, talking about their faith, and their families, uh, and what they expect out of life, um, and whether or not they have a right to expect any more out of their lives. There's some really deep, meaningful. Um, heavy questions being asked and in some cases answered in this film. Um, and at the same time, I'm amazed at the relative lightness of the story, of how the film uh, um, 
treats these characters, treats their revelations. There is humor in the story. There is lightness in the right, story. Right. Um, and despite how dark the 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 you know the setup of the story is, uh, I think it really shows these women in just a tremendously flattering light that it shows them f- to be powerful and thoughtful and full of love and faith which is why they're so tortured about what to do it, it's not a simple and it's not a simple question for them to answer it might seem so if you were not a member of that community but the film does a really good job of respecting the fact that these women are highly religious women in a highly right remote right. community so they're not going to find it easy to answer a question like this. Anyway, um, tremendous performance. Every single actress in it is amazing. I want all of them to get nominated. They won't, but I think two or three of them probably will. And it definitely sits as one of my favorites of the year. Go. Yeah, that's definitely my favorite. And as you mentioned, I when I wake up the next day I'm too, and I'm still thinking about the movie, I know right. that the movie made an impact on me. And that one definitely did. Uh, I'm fascinated by the Mennonite and, and the Amish and all these communities. Also, any community where people live a life completely isolated from anything else. Like, there's a great documentary on that. It's called Colonia Dignidad about the German uh, community in Chile. Um, so, in Chile, so that there's all these great stories about how you are thrown in there and you're supposed to live that life and sometimes you don't agree with it but your faith forces you to live a certain way behave a certain way and uh, so these stories are always fascinated but what I love more about most about uh, women talking is that it's very much focused on how women are treated uh, in this community um, and and it's terrifying and it's horrible and it's you know it's 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 really bad in a way if you if you looking at it from from uh, you know the outside world and not part of that and they do a very good job uh as you mentioned i think i think you mentioned we the movie has several characters and they all have a different point of view or they kind of agree but they see it differently which right. is how people react in normal life um and uh, but they all work together and they all try to come up with a solution right or you know, a way to deal with the situation as a group. Um, and the dialogue is just beautiful. It's beautiful, as we mentioned before uh, in, in our pre- previous podcast, it's kind of like the dialogue is a little too sophisticated for the characters we felt. Um, but it's so well written, and it's just, it, it's sort of like, what if these women had a chance to get educated, to talk, to express themselves? That's pretty much what they would do. So, Love the movie. <clears throat> the cinematography is beautiful. <clears throat> Excuse me. Everything is beautiful about the movie. Uh, just the way it's lit, the, the costumes. It's a great movie. It made me think about the movie for many, many days. Uh, you know, and and you know, sometimes movie ha- do that to you. Yeah, it make make you approach things in a different way. Agreed. Moving on to the next film is my little surprise. Uh, now I will before I reveal it like you're all waiting on the edge of your seats <laughs> before I reveal it I will say that movies like um, Everything Everywhere All at Once or or Tar were just tremendous filmmaking achievements and absolutely deserved their place on a lot of best of year end lists right. 
and I wouldn't argue that point. But I, when it came time to pick a third, I was like, I really want to pick some something that's not on these lists that mm-hmm. I really enjoyed. Right. So I chose Kimmy. Wow. Starring Zoe Fantastic. Kravitz, um, directed by Steven Soderbergh. It came out. It's on Prime Video, I believe, earlier in the year. And again, it really stuck with me at the time because... Um, you know, we're reaching a period like Glass Onion is out now, and um, uh, we're we're reaching a period where like the pandemic, the lockdown is now in all of our films and in all of our movies and TV shows because right. stuff was being shot during that period and it got integrated into the story. So the Glass Onion is a prime example of a movie that is set during the pandemic that was shot during the pandemic, and it's very obvious. Um. Kimmy was as well, but it was actually the first time I'd seen someone really unpack the pandemic, the whole lockdown experience, um, because uh, it's the the basic premise of the story. It's it's somewhat Hitchcockian, it's somewhat Rear Window esque in that she works for um, a tech company that has an Alexa slash Siri like device, and her job is to monitor all of the requests that are made to this device. The device is called Kimmy, and she hears a murder, and she needs to tell people that she has heard a murder. But she is an agoraphobic, and she has severe anxiety issues, and all of this has been exacerbated by lockdown. Right. So she has to leave her home in order to enact some form of justice. It's very, in many ways, it ha- it owes a lot to Rear Window. Um, and we, uh, uh, there's a lot of Hitchcock in, in the, in the filmmaking without it being, it's so easy for filmmakers to ape Hitchcock, to mimic Hitchcock. And it's been done a million times in films. Uh, but that's not what Soderbergh did. It doesn't look like a Hitchcock film. It does, it's not like he suddenly aped Hitchcock's, you know, framing style or composition style or any of that. Um, but it still felt like as if Hitchcock had made a film in 2022 because it had all the themes of a Hitchcock film and had a heroine um, at the heart of the story with a really, really compelling look to her. You couldn't take your eyes off her. It had a hero at the heart of the story with a an impediment of some sort. Some either whether you know in some movies it's Hitchcock movies it's a it's vertigo or it's a broken leg or something like that. In Kimmy's case, her character. Uh, is suffering from severe agoraphobia. So it, it just, and then when she finally does go out in the world, it just felt like what it was like to go back out That's in true. the world after true. lockdown. She is completely overwhelmed by everything. At one point, she comes across a Black Lives Matter protest and gets stuck in the middle of it. And I remember at the time, this was like January, February of last year, I was like, wow, that I just... It's so strange to see my re- our recent history so effectively captured on film like that. It really is a perfect snapshot of that period of time. On top of which, it's a killer mystery thriller. With I remember I made you watch it. I had already watched it. And I was like, you might get a little bored in the middle, but trust me, that third act, you are going to be... And you did. You loved the third act of that film. Um, so that's just it. It's, it's uh, Zoe Kravitz who is, you know, always pretty watchable on film. She's a pleasant enough uh, performer on film, but she really tapped into that sort of uh, nervous, delicate bird energy that she kind of has, and she ramped it up. And so she was like this perfect... Perfect. And and what I loved about the character that she played is... uh, Angela was her name was even though she had um, a crippling set of anxiety issues and agoraphobia issues, and she may have been neurodivergent or on the spectrum or something like that, there's no part of her that isn't 
completely um, uh, confident in in what she can and can't do. She's you know she's not some tiny little wilting flower. She's got a a, a debilitating uh, illness that is preventing her from having a full life in a lot of ways. But she's not presented as some victim. She's not presented as someone who feels sorry for herself. She gets very annoyed with the rest of the world for not understanding what she's dealing with. Um, and in that sense, I think it was a pretty good, it's not for me to speak on behalf of these people, but I felt that it was a pretty good representation of what it's like to be neurodivergent or to have a mental health uh, issue that you recognize, but uh-huh. that the rest, but right. you constantly have to spend the rest your time informing the rest of the world that you have this issue. So uh, I loved it. Um, it's it's not a big splashy film, but it's a thought like any Steven Soderbergh film. It's a thoughtfully done film uh, that sticks with you and is so of the moment. I just it is the most modern 2022 film I can think of off the top of my head. Right. Good. Yeah. All right. My third choice uh, is going to be a little obvious. Uh, it's Tar actually, and the reason why I picked Tar is because it's so much of my life as a musician, you know, uh, I played the violin and the harpsichord and the, this was kind of my life playing nonstop, you know, dealing, I played in orchestras and dealing with conductors, dealing with other people playing right next to me and the whole um, life behind an orchestra because, you know, you go and, and, and you watch an orchestra uh, play, you go to a movie theater, I'm not a movie theater, you go to a theater and, and you watch a, an orchestra play Sometimes you have no idea what's behind that whole world. Uh, you know, it is sort of a company and how people behave and, and how that, that affect everybody's life and the way people live their lives. And so, and this is a very interesting story because it is about a very famous conductor played by Kate uh, Blanchett. Uh, and she does a phenomenal job. Um, she's a woman of power. She's very, very talented, but she behaves in a way that annoys a lot of people. And uh, because of that, I mean, she's also not a very good person, but because of that, you know, certain things happen to her that affect her life and her career tremendously. I don't want to get into uh, any spoiler, but it, it, it's, it's a beautiful movie. It introduced a world, I think, that a lot of people didn't know anything about, you know, how conductors right. are, how classical music, the world of classical music is, and um, how people get their jobs and how they keep their jobs and all that, that kind of stuff. And the whole, you know, uh, cancel culture you know, which we, we were very much part of uh, during the pandemic. We dealt with that a lot. So it's a great way to show the movie does that. Mm-hmm. And um, and how, you know, how she how it affected her, her career, and, um, and the whole idea of, uh, and also the idea of women conductors, because I, I read so many articles about people who had no idea that we, have, we do have women conducting orchestra. They're just not as famous as the men and how much they fought for that position and so on. So I thought the movie did a very good job presenting all that to people who had no idea how cl- the classical music uh, world is. And to me personally, it was interesting to go back and go like, oh, yep, yep, that happened to me. I, I can see why. You know, it was just a nice deja vu for me. Fantastic. All right, my uh, honorable mention, again, these are not my picks for the greatest films of the year, but they are very enjoyable films that I really loved, and this one fits the bill perfectly, which is, and this is going to surprise you, Confess Fletch, 
Wow. With John Hamm. Um, oh which my God. is based on it, but it was fun. Oh my God, it was awesome. It was a really fun film, and I cannot uh, recommend it enough. Yes. I believe it's on Showtime and Paramount Plus. Um, it really sort of dropped out of sight. It never really made a splash in the theaters. I know. Well, I mean, it's yeah. true of all films this year that aren't superhero films or Top Gun. Um, it's uh, you know, and it it's it probably. W- isn't making its way onto a lot of year-end lists, even though the critics loved it, probably because Glass Onion came along and did a much, much more star-powered version of a very similar story, which it is a detective story uh, starring uh, John Hamm as this very charismatic detective, but it's very different from Benoit Blanc, played by Daniel Craig in Glass Onion. It's based on the Fletch books, uh, which are a series of detective novels from... I think the 70s and the 80s uh they the original fletch movie starred um chevy chase in like 1985 or 86 somewhere around there this owes nothing to those films um you don't need to know those films you don't need to know the books in fact that's what's so great about this movie it is such a perfect saturday afternoon on the couch kind of movie it's the kind of movie that you stumble across you right. start watching because it has famous people in it and then half hour into it you start realizing wow this is actually a really fun movie he's hysterical he is so funny so good in it um but actually everybody is so good in it um marcia gay harden plays a italian contessa who is absolutely (laughs) hilarious in it um and it's you know it's a murder mystery and and fletch is this happy-go-lucky guy who gets caught up in it and uh basically solves it Uh, actually i'm not sure is there a murder or is it a Oh no! It's stolen paintings. That's right. That's right. So it's it's it, it actually doesn't matter what the story is about, what the case is about, because it's just it's this very convoluted thing where he bounces in and out of people's right. lives, and you know ultimately solves the crime as you would expect at the end of it. Um, it didn't do well in the theaters, but the critics loved it, and for good reason. John Hamm, um, fantastic man. I have to just, say, it's yeah. interesting to to look at John Hamm's post Mad Men career and realize that. Uh, he never quite got the movie stardom that he probably should have gotten. Like, right. I'm not saying the man deserved it, but on paper, the man is a movie star. And yeah, I mean, gorgeous. He's beautiful and charismatic and very, you know, con- conventionally masculine in a lot of ways. And these are all markers of male movie stardom. Um, and Confess Fletch is like just the perfect, perfect post Don Draper vehicle for him because the character is nothing like Don Draper. And it really showcases what John Hamm can do. He is that rare creature, a very, very good-looking, conventionally good-looking man who is really a comedian at heart. So he is very, very funny in this movie. And I'm one of those people, one of those bitchy, shallow people who really hates when good-looking people are funny because it's like, can't you leave the funny for the rest of us who don't look like gods? Um, But he just, he He just nails it. He is hilarious throughout the movie. And the... It's just much in the same manner of, of Glass Onion or Knives Out. It's just a very pleasant mystery that you spend two hours. It's full of colorful right. people, and you can either try and figure it out yourself, or you just follow along and let let Fletch figure it out for you. But it was easily, I wouldn't call it the best filmmaking of the year. I wouldn't make my top 10 of best filmmaking you know, productions of the year, but it is easily one of the most enjoyable two hours of film watching I had all year. It was just purely enjoyable. I don't have one criticism of that film, mainly because it's <laughs> not the kind of film that invites a lot of critique. It's 
very simple, very straightforward. It feels very much like old school Hollywood. It's a grown-up movie full of grown-ups with grown-up problems, talking like grown-ups. Mm. No one's acting like a superhero. No one's wisecracking. You know, I mean, they are, but in a very sort of, I don't know, grown-up sort of way. It's just, I really, really enjoyed it, and I would recommend it to anybody. Yes, it's a fantastic movie. All right, what's fun, your honorable fun, fun, mention? Fun. Um... Yeah, I just get one. I have a list of like, and 10 I just here. told him before we flipped on but the mics. I'm anyway, like, no. Just so one. if I have to pick one of all the ones I ma- I listed here, I'd go with Mrs. Harris, uh, Ghost of Harris. Um, Very good. I thought it was so refreshing and and just light and fun and deep at the same time. Um, it's sort of this beautiful way of doing sort of like a movie. It looks like a movie from the 40s and 50s, I mean, the 50s, I'd say. Um, it's just gorgeous to look at. Uh, of course, it's about Dior, it's about couture, so it is going to be beautiful with the fabulous costumes. Um, but it's it's also a very interesting and, and touching story about this widowed cleaning lady in the 1950s in London who she just falls in love uh, she falls in love with this in with couture dress, and uh, decides she has to buy a dress, one that a dress like that or that you know similar or the same. Um, so it's a fantastic story. It's a, a story about dreaming and 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 trying your best to to be happy and to find what you want in life or to have that moment in your life where you achieve something you want even if it's a you know a stupid dress in your mind um but it's just a beautiful story it reminded me of so many of um movies like babas feast um um when you know you have a chance to do that thing one more time or you you know you have that chance to devote all your energies or your money in this case uh, to be happy and have that happy moment in your life. So I thought it was beautiful. Um, it, the movie is directed by Anthony Fabian uh, and the star is Leslie Manville. She is just phenomenal in the movie. She's just perfect. Absolutely perfect. Uh, the scene when she sees the dress for the first time is just so beautiful, so touching. Um, it's a great movie. Uh, I'd say a light movie in a way because, you know, nobody dies or get killed. But it's just very, very nice and, and I don't know, deep in a way and just sweet. It's just a sweet movie. That's my recommendation and my favorite. Agreed. Now we're moving on to the world of TV shows. And I'm going to start off by naming something <clears throat> that I haven't talked about on this podcast at all and we haven't recapped on our site. But it really is wound up being one of my picks for the best TV of the year, which um, was Andor on on Disney+. Plus. Um, It took me a long time to get into Andor, largely because I am tapped out on most Star Wars stuff. A lot of the Disney Plus Star Wars um, TV shows have been mediocre to not worth your time at all. Uh, The Mandalorian was great in the first season, kind of fell off in the second season. Then we got the terrible... Book of Boba Fett and the awful Obi-Wan Kenobi series. So I was just like, oh, whatever, Andor. And I didn't think Cassian Andor was all that interesting a character to begin with. He He's one of the characters in Rogue One. But they gave him his whole spinoff series. Uh, and it was developed and directed by Tony Gilroy, and uh, who wrote Rogue One, the film that introduced Cassian Andor. And what it's a miracle. I don't even know how this series actually came to be because it is 
Because it's on Disney Plus, so you would think that there would be so much restriction on what he could do and what he couldn't do. But he created the most adult version of a Star Wars story ever captured. And I don't mean it's full of sex and nudity. It isn't, actually. It doesn't have any of that. It's full of nuance. And it's a very um, difficult world to navigate. And what it what it did, this was what really, really... I was like, wow, I can't believe I'm watching this. It was an examination of what takes a person from complacency and low-level criminality and radicalizes them. How the system turned this person, Cassian Andor, into basically a nobody and turned him into an absolute radical ready to tear down an entire empire. Um, And it explained everything that he was put through in order to get to that point. And he's put through a lot. Um, And... It's not just that he he suffers or anything like there's long discussions and dialogues and even monologues about radicalization, about oppression in a way that, you know, the Star Wars movies and most of the TV shows, it talks about the empire and it talks about living under and rebellion and everything in the broadest possible, you know, terms. But Andor actually shows you what it's like to live as a person under the boot heel of an empire and how it crushes your dreams and limits your your possibilities and and puts you in a cage until eventually you get angrier and angrier and angrier and you're ready to blow the cage up. Uh, And it's like, I don't even know how many episodes there are. There were more than I realized. There was like eight to ten, I can't remember. Um, But it's juicy and there's a lot of story there. The acting is really, really good. The best, some of the best acting uh, in any Star Wars at all. Um, And I told Lorenzo and I, I, he hasn't watched it, but I'm like, you know, I know you're not into Star Wars, but you really don't have to be. It Mm -hmm. is really just a story about living under oppression and becoming um, a radical under, under that boot heel. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's one of the things on my list that is, it has a dual, it's on the list for two reasons. One is that it is literally my favorite sh- show of the year, but also I would call it one of the best TV shows of the year. Bar wow. none. It's that good. It is excellent, excellent Amazing. TV. I-, I love to hear that because I do remember you in the beginning, like, oh, I don't know if I should watch this. I wasn't really into it. And then yeah. by the third or fourth episode, I was on board. Amazing. It's, a, it's not some, you know... Uh, whatever. I don't want to over talk over, you know, sell it, but it's fun. It's grown up. It's smart. And there are some, a couple of really fantastic fist pump moments. Okay. You go. Fantastic. Well, my, my first one is the bear. Um, I absolutely love the, the show. Excellent at, choice. At first I didn't want to watch it because you were watching first, I think. And there was a yell, a lot of yelling coming out of the computer. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know if I want to watch this, but I, again, it goes back to what I said. I like, I like to watch things that there are kind of, uh, there are creative that sort of like nobody has talked about or covered that subject the way they did with the bear. Um, it's, it's a phenomenal show about a young chef. Uh, going back to uh, Chicago and and to work in, in his family sandwich uh, shop, and he's a chef. He, I, I believe, he was a very famous chef, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And then he had to go back uh, and work with his family. and And I think the show does a phenomenal job again about uh, showing how. First of all, how kitchen works in restaurants. I mean, a lot of people don't know how chaotic it is, uh, all the stress uh, they're under all the time. 
um, and um, the uh, how they're treated, how how the employees are treated, how these people are. You know, you're sitting there waiting for your food, but you have no idea what's the, what's happening uh, in the kitchen, and it's always chaotic. It's always stressful. Uh, it also shows because all the characters are great not just the main character uh played by jeremy allen white uh but everybody else in the kitchen it has a story has a background has has a dream and i love how the show you know they they explore all that and um and it's a very interesting industry you know the the whole restaurant industry about how you know, most people have to work and suffer and, and <laughs> for many, many years to get any recognition whatsoever, if they get any. Uh, otherwise, they're just in the kitchen working for their entire life. But they do that because they love to cook. They love they love what they do. And it's a very tough industry. Um, so it, I just thought that they did a very good job. They did a very good uh, job showing all that. Uh, there are some moments uh, where characters speak about their you know their dreams and hopes uh cooking and being a chef and all that and what it means to them and what they have to go through as as you know as as a black person or as someone or a latin person um it's just very very interesting i i i, I thought it was a great um they did a great job and it, i thought it was it is a great show i think excellent i agree all right, my follow-up is uh, my number two TV show, although these are not being done in order, is Severance, which that shouldn't be considered too much of a surprise because I did at the time say it was one of the best shows of the year. Um, I think the cliffhanger ending of that is one of the best I have ever seen. Yes. I mean, uh, my heart was in my throat right up until the last second, and then when it ends, I, I practically scream, <laughs> which is what you want. It's what yes, you want from yes, your cliffhangers. Yes. It has to be delicious. It has to be tantalizing, and it ultimately has to be very frustrating. At the start of the show, when it first uh, debuted, I was like, oh, okay, because, you know, oh, an office is dehumanizing. That's not exactly a new concept. And not even in television is it a new concept. There was an entire series called The Office. Um, so I wasn't completely sold on the idea of it at first. And I also didn't find... Uh, I want to say I didn't find it realistic, which is kind of a silly thing to say because the show clearly isn't dealing in realism, but uh, because there was a certain science fiction aspect to it. But I felt in the beginning, I was like, I'm not sure I buy the emotional realism of this story. But as it unfolded, first off, I understood it as more of an allegory than an actual, that you don't have to look at it in terms of realism. And secondly, the actual emotional realism of the characters as they are developed and as we learn more about them, it really does they do make sense. They do make emotional sense until by the end of the series season. I mean, um, you are so committed to the well-being of these characters. You are so even the ones that are terrible. You're like, I don't. I want to see all of you get out of this terrible system that you're in. Right, I think right. that's basically what it comes down to. Is there are bad people in the story, but you can't even hate them because it's so clear that everybody is stuck in a system and they don't know how to get out of it. And there, and that is, if not an allegory, it's a metaphor for, um, you know, for so much of uh, end stage capitalism and employment, people who are stuck in a system and can't get out of it. And it turns some of them into victims and it turns some of them into villains. And those are really the only options in a system like that. You become a victim or you become a villain. Um, 
So it's very thoughtful. It's also really stylish. It has a dark sense of humor to it, a sardonic, cynical sense of humor to it. Great cast. And just, um, boy, will it stick with you. I mean, especially that last episode. That will stick with you. I agree. Uh, so many aspects of that are burned onto my brain. Um, so again, much like Andor, it's not only one of my favorites. I consider it one of the best film uh, TV series of the year go well that's my choice too uh i thought severance was phenomenal i i love that type of show where everything is containing pretty much in one environment uh and it's all about the acting it's all about the how you direct the scenes and 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 you know the dialogue um so i loved loved the actors uh loved the stories of each one of them uh i can i have to say in the beginning i had no idea what the uh, show was about i didn't know what was happening, um, that the whole thing with, with the memories and all that, I didn't know any of that. So I kept going and just listening to them talk about their lives and it, it get to a point where they all work together uh, and and things happen. And, uh, and as you said, the last episode was just like, my God, I can't wait to watch more of this. Uh, I thought it was very creative, extremely creative, I'd right. say. Um, just really, really well done. Um, great use of, of the actors. Uh, they're just great. Yeah. Great, great, great show. Agreed. Uh, now, my third uh, is also probably not going to be... Although I am surprised, because I didn't have high hopes for this one. House of the Dragon. Oh, wow. Um, I really wanted to put The Rings of Power on this list uh-huh. because I'm such a Tolkien fan and I, I really champion that show all season long. And I do love it. I still love it. But it's it's inevitable that these two shows are going to be compared to each other. And as much of a Tolkien fan as I am, I have to be true and admit that um, House of the Dragon is at currently the better show. Mm. Um, I agree. I have to agree. I have to agree. Uh, I mean, I have to agree with myself. Uh, (laughs) The Rings of Power is a beautiful show to look at, which it should be. It's Tolkien, but um, and it's full of wonder and fantasy again because it should be. It's Tolkien, but it doesn't have a lot. Doesn't have a lot of nuance to it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have a lot. Have a lot of gray areas to it. It's either you're good or you're bad. And actually, Tolkien did have a lot of nuance to his writing. He understood the forces that allow evil to proliferate, uh, and they're not always mustache twirling villains. Sometimes it's complacency or or um, narrow mindedness or whatever. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. Um, House of the Dragon. I wasn't looking forward to it because the Game of Thrones ended so badly on HBO that I really was like kind of soured on the whole story. Plus, I felt like this is such a small story in comparison to uh, Game of Thrones or to Tolkien, where it's essentially a succession drama centered around one family, Mm -hmm. centered in one kingdom. Uh, Unlike, say, Game of Thrones, which was, I mean, in some ways it was also a succession drama, but it took in all of Westeros. Um, it took in all of the kingdoms, and you got to visit all of them and all of the players, and it was a large world, and it was there were so many... For- it was basically a world war, mm-hmm. whereas this is a minor civil war, almost. Right. So it's a smaller story. Um, it's also, in many ways, a much darker story, because there's so much uh, incest in this story. <laughs> way, way more than was in Game of Thrones, and it's asking you to basically sign off on it, to basically be... You're going to pick which incesty people are the ones that you are cheering for and which ones are the bad guys. 
ultimately, though, I just think, um, I think of scenes like um, that funeral scene on the water with, uh, what was it, Lanera, um, uh, Valerian, where they, her body goes in the water and everybody's dressed in black. And it's such a stunningly photographed scene with the acting is amazing the costume design is evocative and dark and 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 rings of power just can't quite get there yet but but um house of the dragon it just has these moments where the show actually does feel like it's achieving high art where it's it's like all right this is right really really good television the costume design is insane the sets are insane every actor across the board and that's that's really where house of the dragon um sort of games uh, the rings of power is that the cast is all it's very 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 good and uh i think uh, the casting of the actresses who play the two main characters, both the younger versions and the older versions of those characters, those four actresses are insanely good. They were such good casting choices. So, um, yeah, it's it it. I didn't think it would. I didn't think I would get caught up into it. But by the end of the season, I am so caught up in the drama of this story. It's not so much that I'm rooting for any one side to win over the other because everybody's terrible on West in Westeros. Um, but anyone who goes after the Iron Throne is a terrible person. We've learned this by now. So there's nobody to root for, but the drama is so enthralling. And um, the the spectacle is so beautiful to look at uh, in a, in a very dark sort of way. As I was talking, I was talking to my nephew-in-law the other night and he, we were talking about Tolkien and oh. uh, shout out to Adam who uh, Adam is English. And he laughed when I said this, I was like, you know, Tolkien is like Disney world, but you know, when you get to Westeros, it's like Europe on steroids. That's what game of Thrones. That's what house of the dragon is. It takes basic European history, ramps it up adds a couple of dragons, but it's, you know, it's fairly basic European history done in a fantasy setting. Unlike Tolkien, which is pure, it's all creation myths, and there are entire races that don't exist in the real world. Anyway, House of the Dragon, my number three, nuanced, dark, grown-up fantasy. Oh, wow. Yes. Love it. All right, my third choice, speaking of high art, uh, it's Pachinko. (sighs) I really wanted to get Pachinko, Pachinko on there. Pachinko is my so God. good, so it's, good, so good. I I feel like I have to get down my knees to talk about Pachinko because it's such a phenomenal show about a piece of history that I have to confess that I didn't know a lot about, and then I immediately went online and started googling everything I could. So it's about a Korean family uh, um, moving to Japan in the twentieth uh, century. Um, and it's all about the immigration, is about this family dealing with prejudice, with discrimination, um, you know, adjusting to a new life in a new place. And, and it's just a beautiful story told in the most beautiful way. And it's not just, and it, what I love about it is, is that it's not just about Korean history, but it's about any history of any immigrant out there uh, who had to leave their country, their land, their place, and move on to, you know, to another place and, and create a family and, and start again and, and so on. So I thought the show did a phenomenal job. I'm, I'm, I, 
Also love the fact that it's an Asian show. <laughs> We don't see that a lot on TV. A whole show about Korean people, which I love. Right. Costumes are insane, absolutely insane. The sets, the cinematography, the, I also the learned, actors. I know this is your, but I just want to, because I totally agree with you. I know you love you. the show, yeah. Um, I didn't know a lot about, uh, you know, the, the history of, of Korea and Japan right, and, right, and, right. and the various, you know, um, nuances of that and how the, the show unpacked. For me, uh, as an American, it's just a great family drama and historical drama, but mm -hmm. it also, I, it opened up the world for me a little bit because there were things about that part of the world yeah. or the history of that part of the world that I'm like, I didn't know this. And it's giving a very human take, a very ground floor take on massive historical events. That's all. I, I love, I love, love everything about it. How they touch on the fact that you know these people moved to Japan, but they, they, even though they're citizens or whatever you call them, there's a, a scene about that. They're still seen as immigrant, as foreigners, as right. people who don't belong there. Um, there's so much of that. There's so much, and if you go and and you look at the history at the time, I mean, there's so much of that. Uh, the the struggle to adapt into. Um, I don't know to uh, mix, you know, the two cultures and and, right. and and countries. It's just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I watched it several times. It's I think about it every now and then. I mean, it's just one of those shows. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. It's based on a on on a novel, um, a, a New York bestseller, I believe. So go read the book too. But give it a shot. Uh, sometimes people don't like to read subtitles and all that stuff, but you know. Give it a shot. It's one of the most beautiful things on television. Agreed. All right, now for my honorable mention, which I I I tortured myself over this because I really wanted to put the Rings of Power as an honorable mention, um, and I still I still will champion that that show. It's a big, expensive-looking. Um, I don't want to say mess because it's not a mess. It's sometimes it hits the mark and sometimes it doesn't, but it was ambitious and it really tried to do a lot for in its first season. And I think it's worth your time, but it does not make my list. I'm not even on honorable mention. What does make my list is a, is a series that's somewhat similar is that it's very close to my heart. I love it very much, but I mm -hmm. recognize that it may not be the best show on television right now, which is the Sandman on Netflix. I talked about it quite a bit. Uh, we recapped it, actually. We recapped right. every episode because... And we did a whole podcast devoted to the Sandman because, as I said at the time, I'm like, it's one of the few areas where I can claim right off the bat, I am an expert on this character. I am an expert on these books. I have read them all 30 times. Um, so I'm giving this recommendation with that as a so that you understand okay i'm a total fanboy for this character and for these stories so you should take my recommendation with that in mind and i am as someone who who considers himself a critic i am trying to look at it critically and i right. i do believe that the sandman the first season of the sandman isn't isn't perfect and at times it isn't even great at time but It never stops being good. It's just that there are times when it falters a little bit where it is too beholden to the structure of the stories as they were originally told. And the thing is, they were originally told in a comic book format. And you have to, whenever you go from one medium to another, you are going to have to make some changes. And I don't think the Sandman made enough changes in the scripting to address the fact that it was a TV show now, not a comic book. Having said that, it's still... It's still one of my favorites of the year. 
Um, it still had some beautiful scenes, beautiful imagery. The people in it can act their pants off. Mm-hmm. And I think the most, um, the best thing about this first season of Sandman is they, uh, they released a surprise episode about a month after the final episode aired. And it was, you know, it was obviously always planned, but it was an episode that featured two of the best stories from the books, Calliope and A Dream of a Thousand Cats, and they nailed it. And it gave me a lot of hope for the season, for the series going forward. I was like, okay, the first eight issues of The Sandman, which is basically what this first season it was, are all have always been considered, even by its writer Neil Gaiman, as the rockiest part of the story because they were trying to get their feet underneath them. And so the the first season of Sandman suffers largely from the same problem. Now, I wish they had fixed that problem in the in the scripting, and they could have done so, but they chose not to. However, they get to the end of the season, and they it suddenly there's a lot of maturity in how the story is being told. Uh, the Calliope story was just really, really well done, and the Dream of a Thousand Cats, like you have that screen, you have that wallpaper on your computer because it was such a beautiful story. Right. Anybody who has ever lived with cats or loved cats, mm-hmm. there's no way you're not going to be affected by that story. Um, it's dark fantasy. It's evocative. If they do it correctly in the seasons to come, it will get extremely dark at times, like gothic horror dark. But it's humanistic. It's beautiful. It's about life and art and love. It's about family. Uh, it's about responsibility. I know these sound like incredibly broad topics, but um, it's a fantasy show that touches on the most human aspects of human life, of human existence, and it does so in very beautiful and thoughtful ways. So the first season is, it has moments of roughness, but I still think it's it's poetically beautiful, and I still think it's one of the most interesting things you can find on American television right now. It's on Netflix. So that is my final honorable mention. Oh, wow. That was going to be my... That is my choice, Axel. Really? Yes. yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, you were like, oh. Anyway, yes. That's well, why my- don't you pick something else? You had a whole bunch of other honorable mentions. Uh, yes, but I, I still want to talk a little bit about that. All right. That, that I, I'm not a, I don't read comic books in general. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to read them, but it was all Walt Disney you know, characters, never superheroes, never into that. And then we met and we, you know, we started living together and you brought all your books and I, I saw them, the Sandman books, and you told me about them and how you loved them. Uh, and, you know, I'm still not interested. <laughs> so never read them. And then the show on Netflix, I was like, I'll give it a shot uh, just to be supportive. But anyway, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Loved the show. Thought the show was great. You don't have to read the books to to appreciate the show. The episode about the cats is phenomenal. Just beautiful, as you mentioned. I had it on my computer as my wallpaper for for a long time because it's such a beautiful uh, episode. I also want to mention another. This I think about every other day. (laughs) Uh, The episode where the two friends meet every 100 years. That, to me, was such a beautiful story. It's my favorite story in Sandman, and I'm so glad they got that one right, too. Oh, my God. It's it's the most beautiful story. The costumes, obviously, because they meet every hundred years. Yeah. They are beautiful. Uh, Everything about it, just phenomenal. Um... So anyway, well, since you mentioned that, I'm going to mention a show that unfortunately got canceled, but it was one of my favorite shows of, of 
2022, um, is Minx. Absolutely. The Minx. I think it's just Minx. Oh, is it? Yes, Minx. Uh, oh, interesting. It, I thought it was The Minx. You're no, right, it, it is. Minx. Right. It's about, it's in the 70s, LA. It's about a creating a, the first erotic magazine for women. And I love... It's fictionalized, though, It's correct? fictionalized, yes. But I love the show because it's a lot of misogyny going on, obviously, the 70s, and men dealing with magazines. But at the same time, you have this female character coming in and, and trying to change things. And I and it's just beautiful. And any show about men naked, you know, and about magazines, dirty magazines and any of that, or the 70s, I'm, I'm, I I'm always love them. And I feel like they, they never... I don't know if they don't get them right, but I don't see pe- much people interested. A lot of people interested in, in those shows about the 70s. I don't know why. But anyway, I thought it was beautifully done. Uh, the acting was great. Uh, it's a f- fun piece of history in a way because it's the 70s and, you know, dirty magazines and, and naked men and all that. Um, I just thought it was great. It was a great show. Unfortunately, it got canceled. Uh, HBO is not bringing the show back. But if I have to have one, uh, that would be it. Minx. All right, then. I think these are some very good recommendations from the two of us. And now you have stuff to watch yeah. over your holiday week for the rest of your holiday. And tell us, what which ones are your favorite? Agreed. Um, and we thank you. And since it's the end of the year and it's our final podcast of the year, we will take this moment to thank all of you yes, for very your support. Much. It means everything in the world to us and it we does. truly truly do appreciate it, it never gets old i think about you guys every all the time actually when we're working i mean how much support right. we get from you guys especially now that we're very active on instagram you know you, you guys are always there saying beautiful things emails that we get uh it's just i just find that yeah yeah it never gets old uh we really appreciate it we're here the two of us working together by ourselves in our in our place and uh you know and then we know you're out there rating us every day so uh, it's very much appreciated yes it truly really is and we wish all of you a happy and safe new year we wish you all the fortune and good health that you deserve yes, the coming yes. year and we will be back next week. Next week? Yeah, we will be back next week with whatever crosses our eyes or crosses our desk. So until then, take care of yourselves. Enjoy your holidays. Love you. Mean it. Bye-bye. Bye.